How you feeling, Jeff? Uh, not really great, Rick. I managed to get a summer cold. It does not make me happy. You know that you should push past that and strive for happiness. Plato strove for the good life, for well-being. Kant argued that goodwill must constitute the indispensable condition of happiness. Rick, what, what are you even... Or if you are really sick, you should possibly talk to a mystic or a shaman. It could be magical in nature. Okay, I know I've been taking a lot of cold medicine lately, and maybe that's just affecting me. Or, hear me out, you could use magic space powers to cure you. Yeah, I, I could I could do that, Rick. I, I, I just give up. Jeff, if I may, I think your co-host has been trying to crash through some of my popular comic book runs prior to this interview, or he is just messing with you. Can't I do both? Welcome to a listener to our podcast, Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer. Analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures and absorbing alcohol. I am Jeff. And I am Rick. And welcome to our very special guest, Fred Van Lenti. Hello, guys. I probably just said it wrong. I probably just said that wrong. <laughs> no, I thought I? you did say it right. <laughs> Then I'm going to say it again. Maybe not really paying attention. <laughs> Neither was I. That was the problem. I'll listen to this. I'll listen this time. I'll listen this time to see if you get it right or not. And welcome to our very special guest, Fred Van Lenti, writer at large. Hello. Hi. Known for action philosophers, the comic book history of comic, Modox 11, and of course, three runs on the Power Pack All Ages book. Thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure. I wanted to say thank, and this is kind of cool for me because this is the first time we've interviewed somebody that one of us has actually met in person. Most of the time it's been interviewing people that we've never had the chance to meet and we still haven't had a chance to meet. So this is exciting for me. I'm glad to talk to you on record instead of just meeting you at a comic convention, although I had a great time meeting you at that comic convention. Great. Ditto. And I was also very glad too, and this is for, you know, audio listeners, but I can see that you're wearing the lovely shirt that I got you, the Alex and Julie and Jack and Katie and Franklin. I got you the one with all five. So I'm right. that does my heart good as well. <laughs> it's fitting that it has all five because I recently reread my first power pack book and it's one where, that adapts the appearance of Franklin on the team. Yes, it does. And it's one of our favorite actually runs of the book. And we're going to get to that cool. definitely because we there's a lot of things that we want to talk to you about. I, you've got a very deep history in comic books and media, and you wrote some really well loved runs of Power Pack, which of course is dear and near to our hearts. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. I want to go ahead and ask you a few questions to start off with. Where did you grow up? I grew up mostly in a town called Chagrin Falls, which is about an hour's drive south of Cleveland, Ohio. So it's sort of like, it's just sort of at the border where suburbs meet like farmland. Kind of rural, mostly suburban, kind of wealthy suburb of Cleveland. Okay, I thought you were uh, born in uh, Tacoma, Washington though, correct? At least reading in your bio. I was born in Tacoma, Washington. I was born, my dad was in the army and I was born in Fort Lewis, which uh -huh. was just an army base back then, but I think okay. now is Joint Air Force Army. Familiar with that. That is correct. Yeah, yeah. My dad left the service, mustered out like when I was a year and a half. He moved to Princeton to finish his PhD, which is where my sister was born. She's the true power pack in the fan in the family. So I feel it's good to bring her up. Uh, not that I'm not a power pack fan, but she's an even bigger one than I am. 
and then he got a job at the Cleveland Clinic like about 1980. So I spent fifth grade, I think. Yeah, fifth grade to 12th in uh, Cleveland. Okay. So you were uh, Tacoma for a year and a half Something like that then, or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I was born in Vancouver, so I was just. I was a baby, so I sucked at telling okay. time. So I, it's hard to like, you know, pin okay. me down on that one. But that's what my mother says. I have no reason to not believe her. So far, you haven't had a reason to mistrust her on some of those things, but. Well, right. Well, not on this stuff. Yeah. No. Yeah. And in general, she's actually a pretty earnest person. So. I mean, we still have to talk about the, the, the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus. You know, the, the, that's cut deep over time, but. It's funny, I don't ever really remember believing in Santa Claus, but I suppose I might have. There's times for everything for everybody. Yeah, I was just, I thought that was interesting for me because I was born in uh, Vancouver, Washington. So I was just down the I-5 pipe from where you were at. So I'm like, oh, that's cool. Sure. What type of media did you consume as a child? I mean, mostly comics. I loved comics. I was obsessed with comics. I made my mom read comics to me until she said enough already. And then I stared at the words until they made sense to me. And then I could read them on myself. And I didn't need you anymore, mom. <laughs> I mean, except and emotionally. Financially <laughs> and for all the other support. I read, yeah. read my words. Financially, that's true. That's- Do you remember what your first comic was? Driving me around. Yes, it was The Great Comic Book Heroes by Jules Pfeiffer, which is an anthology of a bunch of golden age hero origins like Superman, Captain America, Batman, Hawkman, The Spirit, Human Torch. Classics. And I have my childhood copy back there, but I don't feel like it's kind of wedged that bookcase behind me. And I don't feel like (laughs) (laughs) I drew all over it with crayons. You authenticated it. You made it yours. It's not really for Mm -hmm. resale value at this moment. It's more of the personal feeling. I mean, I guess. Yeah, I I don't know. I actually, though, let's think. Let's think about this is hand colored by Fred Van Lent. I'm sure that could probably go. It is. It's missing a spine, so it's no longer in very good condition. I guess the the, the Fred draw drawings would be the the, the attractive part, but it's not for it's sale. Not for no, sale no, so, no. literally, <laughs> priceless. literally priceless. And you know, hey, Mojo doesn't have a spine. He runs a whole like TV network universe. He's doing great. So your comic probably doesn't need a spine either to be successful. I feel like this is the first time the work of Jules Pfeiffer has been compared to Mojo. But <laughs> you know, I was wondering where we were going to go. Who's going to take that? spineless joke and go somewhere with it and 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 i think it took the worst turn possible so bravo on yay that show of hands i ruined a thing <laughs> i was gonna ask though once you started getting it you know once you kicked your mom to the curb and say i don't need you anymore and you started to get your own taste in comics and you start going out and buying them i'm assuming that you were a collector as we all were yes i was yep what what did you focus on or were you pretty much all over the board I had kind of two strains. Like, I really loved the Roy Thomas, uh, John Buscema Avengers, which was being reprinted in the early 80s. And I believe, so Marvel, this is back when Marvel had a million different reprint titles. Like, they never let anything on it. So Marvel Tales was Spider-Man, of course. Marvel Greatest Stories, I'm pretty sure, was Fantastic Four. I think so. I think Avengers was Marvel Super Action. I believe so. I believe so. So I really liked Marvel Super Action. So I tried to get an incomplete set of Avengers from 16, which is, of course, when they booted out Iron Man and Thor and Captain America took over with Wanda and Quicksilver and Hawkeye all the way up to 200. And I cannot remember why I chose 200 as as the last issue. Anyway, I got almost there. And then I sold it when I went. (laughs) 
in in college. <laughs> <laughs> but then also the other thing I would do is I would love I love getting th- things on the f- ground floor. So I I I got I really liked obscure number ones. That's how I got into. I was in the Firestorm for some reason. Fury of Firestorm that started. Batman the Outsiders, Alpha Flight. That is likely how I started buying Power Pack because I I bought Power Pack off the spinner rack in downtown Dragon Falls in the off the drugstore spinner rack. And that's because they had the, the, the oh, I just dropped her name. Uh, they had the one character from Alpha Flight who was uh, in it for a couple of years. Marina. Yeah. Marina's a favorite character. In fact, when I used to when I went on to write Alpha Flight, Marina was my favorite character. Well, I also probably got it because there's a very famous storyline in Alpha Flight where the, the spoiler alert for a comic that came out in 1985, Guardian, their leader, gets killed. Like, they've been hyping that they were going to kill off a character in the 12th issue. And then the ad, I can't remember what was the, it's this very powerful. It, it has the character kind of in shadows. Yeah, well, I, I forget exactly how this plays out, but like, yeah, so it's like, so on the 11th issue of Alpha Flight, there was an ad showing all the members drawn by John Burney, created them, and it's like, one of them will die, and there's a little mini one underneath it, little ad with an outline of the Power Pack kid saying, coming on, you know, the same month, Power Pack, you know, it's like, so it's like death and life, you know, <laughs> adults being killed in children's comics, living side by side in the same ad page. So likely that is the first time I saw power pack or new of power pack was before number one even came out and i must have been like i forget i don't know what year power pack number one was but 86 so okay so i was 14 and i did not i didn't go to the comic book store because i couldn't drive and that's how you had to get to one where i lived there was no internet i didn't know anyone <laughs> other than me who read comics <laughs> another 14 year old so it really the only way i would have known about power pack uh, power pack was that it was it was a house ad in alpha flight you mentioned dc and marvel characters did you ever go outside of those at all did you ever get any of the other indie comics back in the mid 80s yeah sure when i was when i was uh, got a little bit older and could actually go to the comic book store because that's the only yeah. place you could get them uh, elementals was a huge influence on me and, and i regret not i long ago also sold those issues i had a pretty complete set of that and that's a sad story where apparently the guy who owns the elemental rights just bought them in, at, uh, at a bankruptcy auction calls up jim lee every year because jim lee's a huge elementals fan and offers to some ungodly amount of money from to buy the elementals rights and it's always like you know <laughs> jim lee is rich but he's not that rich yet. he's not elementals rich apparently he's not yeah he's not going to fund this guy's grandchildren's college fund yeah so that's kind of too bad that the person's just like i got it for dirt would you give me gold yeah exactly yeah. I, it's something I, I clearly have no personal interest in but that's the story anyway i don't know if it's true sounds good i think i remember i was on the panel with bill willingham to come, come to think of it who created and drew and wrote the elementals and i think he confirmed it but maybe not i don't remember it was a long time <laughs> besides comic books was there anything else that, that really helped guide you or kind of instilling you this love of fiction and love or love of writing i should say sure i love real historical fiction of the novels of tim powers who like the anubis gates and stuff like that who does a great job melding fantasy and history was really into stephen king was really into piers anthony very briefly in in middle school I, I did bounce around a lot. I did read a lot of different things. I loved Raymond Chandler. Mm-hmm. I loved the Philip Mar- Marlowe novels and Red Dash Hammett. So I, I did kind of dabble in everything. And then 
later in high school, I became really into movies. In fact, went to school to study film. Now you're really talking my language. We're going to have to talk a little bit more about love of movies and possibly get you on my other podcast. But that's that's a total separate thing. That's a total separate thing. Once you got into writing, you, you've written a lot of really good books. And I know we're going to get to the power pack side of things. But I want to talk about some of the other things things that you've got that really got you on on the scene and got you noticed before and after you did your power pack but action philosophers comic book history of comics and then some of the other things that branched out to the other media as well modok and there's cowboys and aliens as well (laughs) how did you really get into into writing comics or getting into doing what you've been doing well when you're in a small town in ohio i think i dabbled a little bit in writing my own sort of comic scripts but like there's no one really to like assist you in fueling that dream. But when I got to Syracuse University to study film, I was in the art department, but I joined the... Weirdly, there was another guy from Chagrin Falls who went to Syracuse and he founded their comic book club, Comics Plus. He was a senior and I was a freshman, so our paths didn't really cross. Other than that, I just met guys like Ryan Dunlavey, who I still work with today, who co-created and draws action philosophers with me. I met him there. And so just writing for, I also discovered simultaneously discovering these guys who could draw comics and would were willing to draw stuff I had written. I also discovered I really intensely disliked making movies, which I, I was extremely surprised by. Particularly at that age, I didn't really want to deal with, there was too much like waiting and setting things up and carrying heavy and I didn't own a car and you have to talk to actors and it's just, and then you go edit it. It's just a giant pain in the ass. Uh, I thought I saw movies as a giant pain in the ass. Enjoy watching them quite a bit. I like it when they make me money. (laughs) 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 I'm perfectly willing to have movie makers give me money to adapt my into into movies, but doing it myself, hard pass, not interested. I like being my little room and this, this very room you see me in, in fact, surrounded my books. I swear to God, I only light the Fred sign up when I'm, doing podcasts <laughs> one thing it's got it's it's run by double a batteries you can't run up that long no, it's gonna oh it'll you know. die out yeah. yeah so yeah so running around with a camera just not something i'm a book guy i like making books your room that you're in is that kind of like your that's the place you'd prefer to be because i know when we were talking to chris eliopoulos he was like i grew up a nerdy kid who liked to draw you could put me anywhere and i just sit and draw and be happy and so that's what I do now, and I'm happy. This is where I'm at, and I do all this stuff, but I'm just happy in the room. Is this the same for the room that you're in right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I have written in, in other places. I prefer to write in solitude, partly because I get up and pace around and do the dialogue and act like a schizophrenic, and I see these sorts of people all the time on the subway here in New York. They're actually just script writers, because uh, I, I I'll well, do the same thing on our scripts that we work on. Considering the way they're dressed, it's quite possible. <laughs> a little bit more freeing to do it in private in it fortunately unlike drawing writing it can be a very how you actually do it varies considerably and so i i move around a lot how did you i think i'm trying to remember your your history here and i just realized i didn't have it from you but i think you you're you really got started off or you really became my home planet was threatened (laughs) with the cataclysm and my parents put me in a small rocket ship why did they build a rocket ship big enough for them too i don't know they're dead you only have so much (laughs) material that you can go with and size and and oxygen we can't get into it they said go forth my son and make movies and you said pass Pass. like oh and then the planet blew up (laughs) 
it looks like action philosophers was one of your first things that you worked on. Is that correct? Well, it depends on what you mean by first. So there's about a 10 year gap between me graduating college and me and action philosophers. Number one kept coming out. In fact, ironically, my first Marvel comic, which was in the anthology series, amazing fantasy came out the same day as action philosophers. And because of the alphabet, Action Philosophers number one and Amazing Fantasy number seven were often racked right next to each other, which was bizarre. <laughs> was it fortuitous? And I had broken my, well, I don't know. I don't know how many people looking at those two things, other than if you'd figured out my name was on both covers. I don't know how you would associate them necessarily. Uh, I don't know if necessarily buying one helped the other, but I had broken my ankle. And so Ryan had to go to the comic store and send me a photo, which I subsequently lost of the two of them together. I think at Jim Hanley's universe, which was this great uh, comic book store across from the Empire State Building. Yeah. So, but no, Action Philosophers was sort of one of the first things. I'd done a bunch of stuff that had either been totally ignored or very well reviewed, but otherwise totally ignored. And at, that stuff was kind of the first stuff that kind of made other people pay attention to me and start hiring me and stuff actually identifying you as a name and going, hey, that's somebody that's dependable. That's right. I've read their this, and you can reference them where people will be like, Fred, he did these. Oh, I've read that. I like that. Get him on board. That's right. Nice. Let's get into Power Pack, since that's why you're here, and that's what everybody's been waiting for us to talk about, I hope. Well, <laughs> Power Pack was one of the first things I did at Marvel, so it's, it follows the chronology. Yeah, how were you approached to uh, work on those books? So I'd done a book with fellow Syracuse alum, Steve Ellis. Some of you might have known his books, High Moon, the Verzuta online, and, and Only Living Boy. We did a book called The Silencers, which I guess I'll do a plug, is coming back in a hardcover edition from SEX Publishing in July. So by the time I hopefully, not long after you hear this podcast, you can go get it in the store. Uh, it still holds up. I was very pleased with it. That's something you do in 2003. <laughs> a super crime it's about superpower mob enforcers who go independent when the mafia family they work for gets wiped out it's a very fun it's it's very much in the spirit of the boys like 15 years before the boys came out nice okay we're ahead of our times <laughs> that got me to pitch it mark panicia uh, mark were like the silencers and he hired me to do this amazing fantasy strip mark at the time i pitched the silencers was working for a company some of you may remember called tokyo pop yeah, which was this very successful, at least for a time, American publisher of manga. And so manga was was exploding back then. This is 2004. And, you know, Mark, I think, was partly brought into Marvel to go for that youth market. So Mark's office had some weird things like for stakes. Like, I guess no one else wanted the Hulk. So he had the Hulk and he had Amazing Fantasy, but he had also had all of the, the entire kids line. And he had me <laughs> and he had some random people who were doing stuff for him. And I got, I try, and I, I wanted to revive Supervillain Team Up, which morphed into Modox 11, this book that you'd mentioned, mm -hmm. partly because they wouldn't give me Dr. Doom and Sabretooth. So I was like, it's, they would only let me have Modox, was the only person on the list I, they would actually let me have Supervillain Team Up. So I was like, fine, the, this book is now about Modox and a bunch of loser supervillains blowing eyes, which it turned out was the nicest thing they could do for me. <laughs> <laughs> coming out of the office uh, as part of that book was a guy named Nick Cosby and I, he and I hit it off very well we're still very close friends and he was overseeing the kids line for Mark and that included Mark Sumerak and, and uh, Eliopoulos doing uh, the Franklin Richards yep. and Herbie series right which is super fun and then the Power Pack miniseries and for whatever reason he liked my work and so 
uh, I got the Fantastic Four. So it was like, you know, it was a it's Power Pack meets Spider-Man, Power Pack meets the Avengers or whatever. And so I got Power Pack meets Fantastic Four, which is terrific because I love the Fantastic Four. And then you, you went up from that and were able to stretch out to two more miniseries with them. Day one That's and right. scrolls. Someone had the idea of doing redoing the origin. Mm-hmm. I want to think maybe that was me, but I absolutely don't remember. It fit in well. The joy of what we've been doing so far and going through that alternate age miniseries lineup in our Patreon episodes is just walking through each one and kind of seeing the natural progression. They start off with a very truncated, here's how we got our powers with Katie drawing a, a very much a five or six year old comic book story version of it so that's all we had and then of course with the introduction of franklin it just felt very organic in how the series had gone we hadn't had franklin let you introduce franklin day one came about it worked very very well and it was a very effective book that's great yeah i was very proud of the book i was i i, I had a uh, dinner at <laughs> dinner at walt and louise simons's house Jealous. years afterwards and i gave louise a copy of the of power pack and Nate and I make sure made sure it said based on a story by Louise Simonson and yep. June Brigman. I later got to work with June on my Hercules book, which was which was even more super awesome. And I got to gush all over her, which was great. Not literally. But yeah, I gave it to Louise and she was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> she was not <laughs> <laughs> she was like, you know, they could hire me for that. You know, I know I could tell it was the cogs going mm-hmm. through her freelancer writer's brain, which is why they hire me for that. You little <laughs> <laughs> who's, this, who's this guy? They are both wonderful, wonderful people. I they think are. that they also, though, when it comes to power pack, kind of have their this is how I set up my my uh, my toy house with them and it's kind of like yeah okay other people do stuff and they're not overly paying attention to it because they're like yeah they're still kind of our kids and other people do stuff with them but when i get my kids back they're the kids that i know and the other great the other thing that separates this miniseries from what june and, and wheezy were doing is just how genius guri hiro are yeah i mean they're just oh they amazing. are super geniuses and i'm happy i just they just did a kickstarter for a unicorn project that's based on old Osama Tezuka manga that I that just ended and they raised like two hundred grand. <laughs> I believe it probably in an instant because their stuff is beautiful. Yeah, it's uh, uh, I can't remember the last names. Their first names are Kitano and Tizano. They are for those of you who don't know, they are a duo of wonderful Japanese ladies. I got to meet them in person at New York Comic Con and I want to say 2007 and we gushed over each other and that maybe be a little literal because they don't speak English and I don't speak Japanese. So we just kind of like held hands and jumped up and down, you know, (laughs) like and squealed me louder than them. It was a beautiful moment though. Yeah. And I got them to sign my power pack Fantastic Four, which was pretty nice. Fantastic. Talk about our wanting to have and I have no way of contacting them or figuring out how we can actually do an interview since we don't speak Japanese either. So I would love to talk to them. I'd love to communicate with them. And I'd love to ask them about what they, how they do the wonderful things that they do, not only with power pack, but with every single other book I've ever read that they've done. Anything they touch is just gold. They've justly gone on to much bigger fame and fortune, which is terrific. Yeah. But every, every time I see their stuff, it's it's still as fresh and still as vibrant, and they can still bring something new, which is impressive. Yeah, and they were like, I mean, you know, I was in my early 30s when I met them, and I feel like they were, I mean, what do I know? They were, I'm just sort of curious, like, 20 years on or whatever. I'm just sort of curious. They managed to just keep knocking it out keeping timeless with what their stuff is. And me and Rick talk about this all the time. We want there to be, you know, how it's like, hey, Disney Plus and the Marvel stuff is everywhere and the limited engagements and everything. We would love there to be a Power Pack TV show. And we really think that doing it in a cartoon style 
based on like the guru art would be just the best way of doing that. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, I mean, I'd also be curious to find out why they don't, why they work for the American market. You know, it's not like they don't have opportunities in Japan. I'm so curious. I'm not going to question it too much because I don't want them to go away. <laughs> I get the impression not going anywhere anytime soon. That's true. That's true. It's- <laughs> oh, I guess you could get you could get the unicorn comic in Japanese if you wanted. That was two two bilingual options. I just filled out my backer kit the other day. Talking a little bit more about these books, we've done our own ranking of the books because we like to. The Power Pack Day One was something that was very. It, it's really strong. It's very powerful, and it's remained very high at the top of our list of our favorite Power Pack stories individually with each issue. Does that one really sing out to you more than the others, or, or is there? Do you have a favorite child of those? You know, I have fondness for all of them, just because it's me adapting somebody else's story. I would probably put Day One actually last on my list, just not for. I mean, it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I guess maybe not, because that's also the one right with all those great Colleen Coover backup stories with the science stuff. Yes. I think right, and that was super fun to do, and I love working with her as well, which is super fun because obviously Nate liked my work in Action Philosophers, so we we did some science stuff, some nonfiction science stuff. I I really like the Scrolls one, even though Gary Harwood didn't do it, and Corey Hampshire did a fantastic job with somebody I worked with on Spider-Man. He's usually an inker, but did a really good job in that series. And it's a little wistful because like Nate and I were going to try to relaunch Power Pack as a main 616 Marvel Universe book. but And we and so a lot of what's in the, the Scrolls vs. Power Pack stuff sets up that series. That makes sense. That was one of our questions coming out of that series is that it felt like there was questions that, that it was going to lead somewhere. And, and, yeah. and it just kind of it didn't. I can't. I can't remember whether because the pitch. What back in those days at Marvel, you come up with a pitch with your editor, and then it goes through various like iterations of this board they have made up of a bunch of mostly editors. There's a couple writers who are there as well, and they kind of either reject it or they want you to bring it back for for more sort of input. And it was just challenging because in the six one six, the main power pack kids they for some reason decided to age them yeah. so you could do a power pack book with adult power kids and i suppose i could sort of see how that could be interesting the whole point of the franchise is that it's a kid's book and with kids here kid heroes so we actually had a version of it where it was all like kid versions of the avengers like there was kind of this iron heart type character who invented a iron man thing it just it never it never gelled but i had this entire like so I basically wanted to do the power pack setup, which is a bunch of kids run into an alien faction. And a lot of what's you, you see from the scroll, bad scroll guy in power pack versus scrolls with the whole sort of religion mm-hmm. aspect of it was sort of the, the run of power pack because that was set during pro in project Pegasus, which is this thing in the right. Marvel universe, which is this alternate energy conglomerate or, or yeah, science like, uh, research, yeah, research station so everyone so everyone in the town is a super genius and so the kid the family it was a totally different different family uh and i think that like the adult katie was a major character i think who came in and their teenage katie was a, was a major character I mean, it was julie i don't remember it was one of the power kids anyway we ran into the problem of the russian roulette catch 22 situation of somebody decided it would be a good idea to 
make Alex power an adult, which meant you had to age everybody else up, which meant you couldn't use them as kid characters anymore. But then you, you leave yourself open to questions of why is it called power pack? Cause the, you know, the, the family's last name is different, you know, and I'm like, well, power is another meaning. So yeah. So that, that's sort of where you end up with these middle tier. That's the challenge of these middle tier franchises. And God knows I've worked on enough of them. Like alpha flight being another good example where the continuities moved the point where you can't sort of do the purest point you have to tweak in order to make everything fit in with continuity and make it matter you end up altering the concept so far that i think the diehard fans are like why do i care about this this isn't what i this isn't what i signed up for and i i think at this time too because we're we're actually caught up on about this time period in in the regular run of the books so we've got julie that's in the loners it was C.B. Sabalski was doing that at that point in time. And then we have Alex who's about to start in Hickman's uh, Fantastic Four. And they've got him sure. in college or gr- just graduated college with a Ph.D. Or, and are, are starting his Ph.D. work and he's bored. And so right. Reed Richard gets him in. So, yeah, I you've already split up two of the, the, the older two kids. Where are the younger kids now? They're just forgotten. So you don't have your all of your team there. And so what was cool about the scrolls thing was I wanted to do kind of an interesting, like actually have sort of the, the equivalent of the snarks, Mm -hmm. the chameleons, but they had this religion sort of culture and the, that was like, I don't understand this. So we just ended up, it was, and then it, then it was going to be like kid Avengers where they're all kid, like, like young Avengers, but now like, like elementary school Mm -hmm. versions of the Avengers. And I was just like, I'm not into this. (laughs) And the editorial board of Marvel was totally not into it either. So it just, <laughs> trust me, I was not, you know, it was not my lack of interest that prevented the series from happening. I totally wanted to do the original, the new power pack, the all new power pack, but they just were like, whatever, I don't get it. That's a shame. And then it's power pack is funny just in the sense that people always think of it as like, oh, well, it's a kid's comic. And it's like, it's not a kid's comic. It just has kids in it. Sure. And then, like, we were talking about the ages of the kids is, are now all over the boards, where Alex is between 18 to 35, and Julie right. is, we'll say, 17 to 19. And then Jack and Katie are still, like, kids. And it, it's just kind of, it's almost a grab bag where... And somehow Franklin is still a kid because he got stuck in a dimension by Onslaught or whatever. And Yeah, but th- I think within the last year or two, they've got him in his, like, his young teenage years. And he's lost his, you know, small G godhood powers. I'm not even sure what's going on with that. But it's just like, yeah, they've just taken everybody, pulled them apart and scattered their ages and what their kind of characteristic behavior sets were. It would be difficult to do things like in continuity with these characters, but it also seems like you could then just take them and go like, I know June and Wheezy are working on their new miniseries and it's basically, they're like, yeah, it's 1986. It is when we left is what age the kids are. And then the recent miniseries from a year or two ago, power pack outlawed. It was like, it's like, okay, Alex is back from future foundation and his five year aging and Julie is back. But really quickly, we're going to make them kind of into the early teen physical appearance and stuff. They so. did a good job of fudging it a bit. They, I think they, they I did. think they kept them both up where the ages about were. But because they're living back at home, that kind of brings them down a level or two. They're back home for a little bit, and they've they've got their autonomy from their parents, even though they're living at home. But they they actually wrote a story that just kind of. We're not going to talk about the ages. We're just going to have the kids doing kids adventures. And it was fun and it was enjoyable. So I I think they did a great job with that. One thing I was going to mention too, because you brought it up a little bit, is the science 
pieces at the back of Power Pack Day 1. One of our listeners, AJ Certified Mass Mister on Twitter, <laughs> he's another very big Power Pack fan. Was it your idea or editorials to do the little science corner explaining each sibling's powers at the end of the issue? You were you started to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I think pretty sure that was Nate Cosby's idea from because he was reading Action Philosophers and knew I was good at explaining things. And he loved using Colleen, who's a terrific cartoonist. Her webcomic Bandettes won the Eisner like three times or something like that. So she's super talented and it's always a great pleasure to work with her. Cool. I, I know that those are that's one area that we haven't covered from these books. We're probably going to swing back around and cover that in our on our Patreon at some point in time just to cover all those pieces that are in there because we need more content to cover. (laughs) Jefferson, anything else that you wanted to ask about Power Pack? Yeah. Did you have any more Power Pack stories that you wanted to tell but weren't able to publish? Uh, That whole storyline about Project Pegasus. Pegasus, That was a a pretty big one. No, I was kind of like, you know, the problem is, is when you first get started at Marvel and they give you the kids books, the kids books are kind of a bit of a cul-de-sac in terms of a career. And you really want to kind of get out of that as soon as quickly, as soon as possible. So I tried to get out of the kids realm as soon as humanly possible, <laughs> which is nothing to do with my, about my love with the characters, just because of this, my, the status and the company. I was also pretty annoyed at how the whole Power Pack 616 thing got torpedoed. So I just kind of put all those ideas in scrolls versus power pack, which I not to shock anyone was just a cash grab because Marvel was doing the secret invasion scrolls miniseries at the time. So we're every six months they're doing some sort of uh, big yeah. tie in everybody event. A book called incredible Hercules just started coming out. And so I was blowing up in a very cool way. And so I was like, no offense, power pack, but <laughs> I moved you got, you got to go where, where it's hot. Yeah. I think you Mark really Sumerak came back and did a couple more. They did a couple more. They did like, Power Pack meets Thor and stuff, right? They did a couple more after I left. Yeah, they did one more miniseries, Power Pack Wolverine that Mark Sumrak did, and then the final Thor and the Warriors 4 was done by Alex Zalbin. Yes, Alex, cool. Which apparently, if you know him too, that's somebody else that we want to talk to. (laughs) Well, I do. uh, Go talk to him on on Twitter. It handles Alex Zalbin. I think he's the executive editor of TV Guide or something. He's He's a big deal. So, yeah, but easily reachable on Twitter. Okay, that's good. I know you were kind of cash grabbing, cashing out on power pack kind of thing to move into uh, Hulk. The adult comics. Yeah, the adults. So was the Destiny's Children storyline that you'd introduced there, that was leading into Project Pegasus or was that headed somewhere else? Uh, no, that was definitely a setup for Project Pegasus, except okay. at that point, I think it was dead. And I was just kind of trying to blackmail Marvel into, into doing it. But they were like, whatever. Okay, because you did, you did a great job of adding things to like the mythos where it was like, hey, and here's a branching off point for another story thing. And here's something else that could be branched off into. I yeah. always appreciated that. And, you know, the setup for Scrolls versus Power Pack was literally in the title. Like, I, that's all I got. So I, it's like, they fight aliens. Well, I have came with all this alien mythology for this other pitch that doesn't seem like it's going to happen. And in, even if it does, I can just put it in this alternate kids universe. So it's not con- mm-hmm. in continuity. And I'm lazy and I don't want to come up with a whole new alien <laughs> plot line. So I'm just going to take that and stick into this. We'll start getting into some other questions that we've got from our listeners. But first of all, we want to have my daughter, Carrie, ask you some questions. She's been following along with our reading of all of the Power Pack books, including and especially these ones, because these are fantastic. So I'm going to introduce you to Carrie and have her ask you some questions she's prepared. Awesome sauce. Hi. Hey, okay. Carrie. How you doing? Good to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. First of all, are you proud of your work? Yes. 
<laughs> That's good, because it's really good. <laughs> That's sweet of you to say. Thank you. Do you have a favorite comic that you worked on? If so, which one? That's a really good question. I definitely think all the power packs are definitely, I'm proud of. The, the kids book I stuck with the longest with Marvel that I'm very proud of is a book called Wolverine First Class that you should definitely check out, Carrie. Maybe when you're a couple years older, but I think it's probably fine for you now. It's about Wolverine and Kitty Pride getting into stupid adventures. <laughs> okay. And I hated Wolverine until I started writing it, and then I loved him, so. Okay, that's fair. What or who ex- inspired you? Just a lot of the comics I read as a kid, really inspired by a guy by the name of Grant Morrison, who's a writer who very smart and gets a lot of great references into his books and has a terrific imagination. Ditto for Jack Kirby, who's a great writer artist who created most of the Marvel Universe. This guy, Tim Powers, who I mentioned earlier in a podcast, who wrote these fantasy novels set during Earth's history that I really enjoy. Okay, cool. When did you decide you were going to be a writer? I think literally about your age. <laughs> Okay. You are... 11? Oh, wow. Okay. I'm glad you said it first. I was going to be way off. <laughs> I'm bad with ages. It has nothing to do with you. It's totally me. Yeah, no, I, I really... I started writing short stories like about when I was your age. And then about five years later, when I got to high school, I got really into writing, wanting to write movies. But then when I went to college, I, as I told your, your dad and, and Jeff before, I met a bunch of people new to draw comics. And so I started working with them. And here we are. <laughs> Did you enjoy with working with your teammate? I did. I did. I really enjoyed working particularly with Guri Hairu because they do this, this really beautiful way of working. I think one, uh, so Guri Hairu, as you may know, Carrie, is two people, two ladies, and one does the pencils and one does the inks and colors. And I forget which one of them does which. It was very cool to see how they, like first getting the, the, the pencils are gorgeous. And then the, obviously the inks and colors are gorgeous. And I am in awe of them. I'm going to just piggyback off that really quick, too. You've also worked with a lot of different other writers, including Greg Pak and, um, oh, I'm going to drop a few other names, but you, uh, Cowboys and Aliens and Action Philosophers. You, you mentioned a few other names, too. You've worked with a lot of other writers. How how well do you work with them as well? I mean, I don't work with a lot of other writers. I, my script got rewritten on Cowboys <laughs> without my permission. So, so that's a uh, bad one. That's a bad example. I don't know if it's working with them <laughs> so much as they're working on me. Okay. But no, it was a great fun with Greg. Yeah, the, Greg just got overloaded, I think, and was very lucky because it really helped my career. Uh, it's great. It doesn't live very far from me, and we're very good friends. You also worked with your uh, wife on uh, King Kirby. That's true. Mm-hmm. So, how, how do you work with her? <laughs> well, I'd hope. We fight a lot more than Greg and I do. <laughs> I, yeah, I bet you make up better, though, too. We do make up better than me and Greg. Greg has that beard. It's very scratchy. <laughs> not not a fan. Yeah, no, it's fun. I don't do that quite as much. Uh, Chris and I are actually working on a new play right now. It's comedy. I don't do... To be honest with you, I only really co-write when people make me. Because you make half the money, you see. Yes, yes. In comics. It's, so. it's easier to share that that money with your fellow creators on an artistic scale. Exactly. Well, well, sure. The my money and the artist money are separate. Yes. Yes. When you're in the writing the, the but there's the writing pool of money and then when there's more than one of us it gets divvied up. It's not to sound mercenary, but that's just the way it is, folks. Carrie, better you hear the realities of life for me <laughs> than on the streets. Yeah, that's true. Stay in school. Okay. Is, is there any other questions you wanted to ask? I don't think so. Okay. 
Well. <laughs> well, Carrie, thank you for your kind words and your great questions. I really appreciate it. It's great meeting you. It was great meeting you, too. Bye. Take care. Thank you, Carrie. Let's go ahead and start wrapping this up with just a few more listener questions. If you don't mind, well, then we'll get you out of here. I would never mind that. This listener question comes from AJ, certified mass mister. And he asks, first, who did Power Pack fight during the war on Halloween? If you recall that at all, it may have been just a throwaway line. Guys, other than the Fantastic Four miniseries, I've not read the, I've not read the second two books for probably <laughs> over, well, over a decade. That sounds like a, an off, a one-off joke from one of my issues. Quite possibly. Quite not possibly. that there's anything wrong with that. It's a very sweet question. I, I'm going to say they fought Dracula and his daughter, um, Lilith. I think that's a perfectly that's a reasonable answer. answer. And then his second question, of course, was about the editorial on the Science Corner. Let me ask you one from Talking Alpha Flight. Were you surprised when your and Greg Pock's Alpha Flight was changed from going to a maxi series back to miniseries? How far out were you had had you planned to go before that had happened? So, yeah, unfortunately, the Alpha White thing just was a complete cluster of epic proportions from the very beginning. It, I think it was, it, I just got the impression it was some war with larger Marvel in the X office. So technically, the Alpha Flight was under the, so the, I have not worked for Marvel for a few years now, so I don't know if it's changed. But back when I was there, the various editorial offices defended their turf with the ferocity of post-apocalyptic Mad Max, you know, warrior tribes. So like the Spider-Man office, you had to if you wanted to use Mary Jane Watson in your comic, you would have to go on your hands and knees and crawl into the spider office and beg them to let you use Mary Jane. And then they probably would tell you to go. (laughs) So for some reason, we had this alpha pitch floating around. And and this is sort of very, very similar to what I was talking about with Power Pack earlier. So the challenge was that we were so Greg and I, the climax of our Hercules run was this miniseries called Chaos War that resurrected part of which the under the afterlife was destroyed. So a bunch of dead people came back, but weirdly, only Alpha Flight stayed. I don't that was Marvel's thing. I don't understand it. <laughs> but ironically, I had a whole storyline that involved people like Puck, which we couldn't use because he was in Wolverine and Madison Jeffries, a.k.a. Box, who we couldn't use because the X office that he was the weirdly he was the one guy in Alpha like they wouldn't give us at that point in time. I think he was in the science the X-Men Science Club or something sure. like that. Yeah. I mean, X-Men has 300 characters yes. and we can't get an Alpha Flight character. Right. They very no. begrudgingly gave us North Star, but then when they decided North Star was going to get married, they did not let us do it in Alpha Flight. They did it in another X-Men book. Yes. So the annoying thing was that it was always supposed to be a miniseries. It was originally conceived as a miniseries. Three or four issues in, the head of marketing at the time for Marvel was Canadian and a huge Alpha Flight fan and a huge friend of mine and a great supporter. But I think maybe I don't quite know how that went, but someone decided to say that it was an ongoing, which was news to me and Greg. And then it didn't matter because they canceled this when the series was supposed to end anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> that whole thing just ended up being super botched and it left a really bad taste in my mouth. And the bottom line was that we just couldn't get the Alpha Flight characters we wanted because that we had to fight, you know, the X office for it. 
Then they randomly gave us Puck. They're like, Puck escaped from the afterlife. So you can, so suddenly he's in the second issue for no reason. Like, like the whole thing was just a mess. And other than working with Dale Eaglesham, who's also Canadian and is a terrific dude and, and a great artist, that was awesome. The whole thing was just a, and we ended up getting stuck with the, the fear itself. Many event that it spun out of ended up being kind of a disaster. And so, uh, yeah, it just, it was, it was a real, like, like Alpha Flight was absolutely my favorite mm-hmm. Marvel 80s comic, hands down. Suck it, Frank Miller's Daredevil. <laughs> <laughs> I was an Alpha Flight reader. I understand why. I have, I have a 114 or so run of Alpha Flight myself. So, yeah, I'm right there with you. But unfortunately, it just it was very much a never meet your heroes moments because it because it was just like it just it just made me sad. <laughs> the whole experience that is made sad. Me sad. Like, I get to write Alpha Flight now yeah. featuring not Alpha Flight. It was just this nonstop battle. And, uh, you know, there there are people over there who are no longer there who just kind of lived. You just got the impression that they, they did not care about making comics half as much as just wielding their power and other people who also wanted to make comics it was very weird dyna- it's a very weird dynamic over there that's a shame it, it's interesting because when we asked people about this we had a lot of people that spoke about the alpha flight series and said that they loved it and they were so angry when it went away and they were just so irate with the entire situation so a lot of people were enjoying the series however you cobbled it together apparently you were do- hitting the right notes absolutely and i wish i could say that would make it all worthwhile <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, that, that's a joke. It does actually make it work well. It is very sweet, and I think it's terrific. It's just the actual experience of making it was like they wouldn't like. I mean, the thing that really drove me crazy was that the same the person who was on the North Star marriage thing wouldn't let North Star kiss his boyfriend in the first issue. He's like, take that, redraw that. I'm like, it's it's 2012. What are we doing here? Like, I wrote it in the script like North Star kisses like he rescued him from a monster in the Zero issue, and Ben Oliver drew it. And they were like, take it out. And I was like, and I was so incensed. I had the pencil page. I'm like, well, I'm leaking this to Bleeding Cool if they make us mm. do that. Fortunately, after a few days, they three of their their brain cells rubbed together and they realized they were making a bad mistake and they <laughs> let us do it. So I, I, I did not have to go scorched earth. But you could have done something so great, like said, just rewritten and said, and then North Star gave him a very sensual high five. That's right. <laughs> That's right. As one does with a loved one after... They've been in a yeah, life and death exactly. situation. They have, a, they, they have the man, they have the one arm, right? The man hug. The, the, I don't want to. They bump elbows. Yeah. And then six months later, the same person was like, oh, you don't get to do the wedding, which obviously was a massive big seller and would have saved our series. Yeah. Yeah. With, of course. with the sales. And it's like. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, you want to go ahead and hit the next one? This next question is from Sailor Bear Zodar. And they ask, when are you going to do the comic book history of Power Pack? Never, because they're owned by a large mouse corporation that still sends me checks every once in a while with Mickey Mouse on them. That makes the most Mickey Money Mouse sense of all things. I want to keep my Mickey bucks flowing. I would too. Trust me, I would love to get in on that that mouse trap. I want some of that cheese, but I never will. But Sailor Bear Zodar also followed up with, Seriously, though, just want to make sure Action Philosophers, Comic Book History of Comics, and Comic Book History of Animation all get appropriate shout-outs for how great they all are. Thank you very much. Not technically a question, but we'll allow it. (laughs) Yeah, not a question. They just wanted to make a statement, a very appropriate statement. I do appreciate it very much. 
they couched praise with a, uh, yeah, I have a question. You're, you're awesome. I guess that could be a question. You're awesome? How do I know you? I know comics. How do I know you? So as I go through life, one of the pieces of advice I try to give everybody is never use the phrase, do you know who I am? Because if you have to ask, you're already losing battle. But I was uh, a couple years ago, I got this letter that I had been nominated for the Hall of Fame for Chagrin Falls, Ohio, or maybe it was Chagrin Falls High School, which is cool. Bill Watterson of Calvin and Hobbes fame nice. went to my high school. Nice. Tim Conway of the Carol Burnett Show fame yep, went yep, to my yep. high school. Oh, very nice. But the first thing, so they sent me this thing and they sent an application. And the first question was, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> you, sir, have been nominated to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Why was that? Who are and you? if you give us a twenty dollars check, you can come and uh, we'll we'll give you a shiny star. And so I ha- I feel like that's the only time in life you are allowed to ask. Do you, do you know who I am? <laughs> no, I think there's another time, and that is after you've received a head trauma. Yeah. That, that also I think a- that is very viable where you could go up to somebody and go, do you know who I am? Because I don't know. I'm having trouble and I'm scared. It's a good point. So- <laughs> uh, probably something that will happen as frequently as someone nominating you for a Hall of Fame without knowing who you are. Yeah, that seems almost like a fishing scheme right there. Kind of <laughs> I thing. know, right? <laughs> this is from a Nigerian prince. Huh. Yeah. Weird. Well, one of the questions was was definitely like, tell us how awesome Chagrin Falls is and how the awesomeness of Chagrin Falls contributed to your success in life, whatever that yeah. is, since I just want to point out again, I don't know yes. who you are. <laughs> and I was like, oh, great. This is propaganda for my small town. And so I did not answer the truthful question, which is that I hated your town and wanted to get away from it as soon as possible. First, I did it through fantasy. But then once I could legally separate from my parents, I did it by leaving. <laughs> <laughs> and only coming back on sporadic Christmases. And now here I am going to give you a bunch of information, which will ensure that I will get mail from you till the end of time, because I am now an alumni of the town. My mother was so mad, I just, I blew off the, so if they <laughs> nominate me again, I'll probably have to fill it out, because she was not thrilled with me. No. Uh, it's sad to disappoint, Mom. Well, let's let's keep on shoveling on the praise here a bit more, because Waffles, who is our listener from New Zealand, and he is a wonderful, wonderful guy, he wanted just to say, tell Fred hi. He'll know what that means. Also, I do know. he wanted to know what question you have never been asked that you've always wanted to answer. <laughs> do you know who I am? No. <laughs> You're that Hall of Famer from That's right. I don't, that one small town. I feel like Bill Watterson did not get the same questionnaire I did. <laughs> Actually, with this bunch, who are you? They might have, no, they might have said, uh, Bill Watterson, do you know who Fred Van Lente is? <laughs> Actually, I was thinking that it might be because of Bill Watterson that they now ask that question to everybody. <laughs> Calvin and Hobes, what's that all about? That's a great question. Thank you. I do not actually have a question. I've always been burning that others ask. I guess I like to go out and find my own answers. Oh, nice, nice, nice. You know? Okay, he did want us to follow up and say, then ask that question, but since Cor- you yeah, didn't have an answer that. that's usually how that goes. I, I will I will say, actually, that is not the first time I've been asked that question in an interview, so. Let me go ahead and make up a random, just sure. out of the blue question. If you were to have one character from comic books drawn by Fred Hembeck, personalized to you what would it be you know just because i like fred hembeck so much it'd have to be brother voodoo because i love it when he draws brother voodoo so i would want my own hand-drawn original fred hembeck brother voodoo. and i love brother voodoo so i i am pretty sure i i don't know i'm gonna take a guess you've never been asked that question before there you go but i did not want you to ask it which is was the point of the earlier question that's true that's true but it seems like you are a fred hembeck fan so i think maybe inside you might 
you know, you didn't know it, but now I'm really stretching. Jeff, get me out of I here. I mean, <laughs> I'll get you out of here by introducing Tim Price, the Podcrashers question. I should point out, when we met at Baltimore Comic-Con, Tim Price was also there as well. I was hanging out with him. Okay, cool. So he was, he was the other guy that was there. You have met this guy in person. Awesome. Lovely human being. Really, yeah. really nice. Really, really great person. Love him a lot. He wants to know, any inspiration for your characterization of Alefire White Man, as his original appearance was so short? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote those comics about 17 years ago. So Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's pulling into the Wayback Vault. You know, come to think of it, I maybe should have re- it was only three comics and, and just randomly because I, I got tagged in a tweet about it. I just ran completely on, on a whim reread Fent. I could tell you about my characterization of Craven much more than I could tell you about my characterization of, of White Man. You're right. He does get dispatched pretty early on. And that was sort of the fun thing about day one, right, was that we were able to do kind of a slightly different sort of power. I mean, let's be honest. Day one is power pack coal in the movie, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and uh, the animated movie, presumably. And so it was fun to sort of maybe give White Man more screen time. And Joseph Campbell would call that sort of stuff. The su- supernatural aid is the stage on the hero's journey that... It's like the second or third stage, like Obi-Wan, Kenobi, Merlin. They're all kind of that same character. Kung Fu Master. Uh, the, the other reason that Tim asked this is this was one of his favorite books. And the speech that Alefire gives in that book, when he used to read those books to his daughters, his twin daughters when they well, were growing really up. really sweet. And that would make him cry. That entire piece with Alefire passing away and, and giving the kids the powers, that was one of his big moments for him. And it, it just, it really touched him and made him cry. Well, now so. I feel really stupid because I don't remember speech yeah. at all. <laughs> no, no, I mean, you, you are completely right that it's been a long time and it's hard to you know pull up where you came well, up I'm from. I'm going to read those tomorrow and I'm going to have a real answer for you. <laughs> Just because now I feel <laughs> that would be that would be great if you did. And if you don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't fault you either. No, is, is seriously though. I guess I want to just take you to take away that there are some people who love these characters, who love these books, and you have touched them, even though it, it's something you did write a while ago. And it's a great privilege, and, I, and it really does mean the world to me. I, I think, if I remember correctly, the original Power Pack origin story is spread over two or three issues, but it's a little truncated because then they have to move right into, like, okay, this has got to be an ongoing series, so we've got to introduce mm-hmm. Spider-Man as soon as possible and wrap it into the whole larger Marvel universe. So what was nice about day one was that you had an opportunity to make all those moments kind of breathe and separate it from the insanity of getting the the plane down the runway and, and moving. And, and obviously, yeah. Louise and June did a terrific job doing that, or you, the three of us, would not be sitting here in 2022 talking. No. It is amazing the number of people that still will talk about Power Pack. I was on looking at uh, Transformer Toy Reviewers, YouTube channel. And just in that, somebody was like, oh, talking about Transformers. And we're like, oh, I used to read uh, the Transformer stories that were in the back of uh, like Power Pack comics, vice versa. And I was like, it's even here. This is crazy. So (laughs) everywhere. Tim does have a follow up question. And it is a classic Tim style question because he loves cheese and he loves asking questions about cheese. So he asks, what's your favorite cheese for sandwiches? That's a terrific question. I would have to say Gouda. Not a bad answer. I am also a big cheese fan myself. Yeah, we eat a lot of that in the house. If you said crackers, it'd be a different answer. If you said pretzels, different answer. I'm a, I'm a big Pepper Jack fan personally, but that's not what I didn't want to ask. Yes, I do put that a lot on sandwiches as well, but Gouda is probably my Yum. favorite. But he has the same question for Plato, Aristotle, and any other action philosophers. Well, I guess for Plato and Aristotle, right, their favorite would probably be feta 
which because they were Greek, so I don't know how. I don't know if that's an ethnic thing. Is that a stereotype? I'm going to guess. I I very may very well be, but my knowledge of Greek cheeses does not go very beyond feta. Although I personally prefer Bulgarian feta over Mm. Greek feta. Let's just open it up. Let's go crazy. It's an elsewhere. Uh, They have access to any region and time frames cheese. Dude, you're not getting a better answer than that than feta. I'm sorry. I know that was not (laughs) to be helpful. I was trying. I was trying to think of the 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 different philosophies of cheese that Plato and Aristotle could 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 have could have come up with, but I I, I was completely lost. I think your answer for the any other action philosophers would be wherever they were from, it would be that nation's most popular cheese. Sure. Well, a bunch of them were French and, and Italian, so you kind of have a <laughs> smorgasbord. You have a bit more to to go back. Ah. They like a nice charcuterie board of cheeses. Aristotle will love pimento cheese, of course. What are you? How dare you even imply anything different? <laughs> okay, the cheese question is out of the way. Let's bring our own plane in for landing. Finishing up here, what other work do you have coming out, and how can our listeners find you and check out your all of your works? Well, we've talked a lot about action philosophers. We're currently kickstarting a couple different volumes of color action philosophers for a series that up until this point has been almost entirely in black and white. So if you go to fredvinlenti.com and sign up for my newsletter, you'll find out when that's happening, which should be in December, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Don't worry, I'm not like a like a super... I'm too lazy to spam you, so you'll get a newsletter once every five months. <laughs> <laughs> I do a bunch of stuff for Dynamite. A very fun series that's coming out in the fall is called Ninjets. It's about high school girls who get sent to this barren wasteland to kill each other to become ninjas it's great it's pretty awesome it's insane <laughs> joe cooper's drawing it for adults only obviously or for i don't know it's it should have a for immature readers only well that's our mindset we're there we're there uh in november i have a rick and morty one shot coming out from oni which is very exciting and right now in the stands i have a story in the greatest archie comic ever Ooh done a couple archie i'm also a big archie fan it's been real archie's great yeah yeah it's been a real bucket list item to sort of cross that off i think i heard the guys on war rocket ajax talking about that if i remember correctly quite possible those guys are been on that show many times oh good good guys i like it when my media crosses like that Yeah, I actually had another question for him. I was uh, looking at your biography, and I noticed that not only were you born in Washington, your birthday is exactly two days before my birthday in the same year. So, my question to you is, what advice would you give to a young up-and-comer like myself for getting into the comic industry? Keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. (laughs) Stay in school and eat your veggies. That's right. There's a two-day window here where you guys could have had alternate lives. Is that what you're saying, Jeff? Just about. that how birthdays work? In my I mind, yeah. That's how birthdays work. In my mind, work. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Now, basically, I was just kind of curious, what, what advice or inspiration would you give to people that are looking to get into the comic book career or script writing for movies or anything like that? Well, those are all three different things. <laughs> Pick a lane. That's first rule. Pick a lane. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, exactly. It took me about nine years to become a full-time writer after I graduated college. Am I doing my math right? Was it longer than that? Uh, no, it was more about 10, yeah, it's more about 10 years. So start now um, and, and get to it because my experience is not unique. 
when I was in my twenties, when I was willing to do crappy jobs and, you know, I didn't have a family or I still technically don't really have a family, but, but I, I and then I didn't have a family uh, and very few responsibilities. So, you know, don't quit because most people do, and that'll immediately put you ahead of your competition. For comics, befriend an artist or become independently wealthy so you can hire one. Yeah, that's a good answer for most things is to become independently wealthy. And then uh, yes. you've succeeded already. How do I become an, an international ambassador? Well, become wealthy. Become wealthy, and donate <laughs> to the president's campaign, and suddenly you'll find yourself in Paris at various lavish parties. Thank you very, very much for all of your time tonight. I, we really, really do appreciate this. This has been a lot of fun for us. Pleasure. It was great. I really appreciated meeting you in person. I appreciated having the opportunity to talk to you. And this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a blast. Thanks, guys. No, thank you so much. Uh, like Rick said, we really do appreciate it. And it's always so amazing and exciting to be able to talk to creators and hear kind of the backstories and kind of get to meet them and actually see what they're like and see what they feel about the media that they worked on. So it's really nice to know. Take care. No problem, guys. Take care. Shout out time. We'd like to recognize those listeners that take time to write in or leave us a review. This is for episode 110, where we finished up the Loaner series with issue number six, Double Identities. Craig McNichol. Colin Stapleton with the worst comic podcast ever. Fractal. Hoover Jeremiah and his podcast, Four Million Years Later. Jeremy Daw. And Jeremy says, this has been quite a great trip. I hope more regular listeners can binge listen to this miniseries. It's worth a listen, especially for long-term fans. New Warriors Talk. Sailor Bear Zodar. Tim Price, the podcrasher, and his podcast, The Outcasters. Waffles! And his show, Waffles and Mario Talk About Things. And of course, we always like to thank our Patreon supporters, including adorably astonishing and amazing Andrew Burns. Cheerfully cheeky and charming Char Logan. Challenging cheesy and chuckling Charles Gears. Destructive and devastatingly delightful Damian Witter. Dynamically dangerous and devious Doug Jones. Exciting, energetic, and entertaining Edward Ferrochi. Intelligent, interesting, and innovative Isaac Perry. Jesting, joking, and jovial Jeff Polier. Just jealous and jeweled Jeremy Daw. Muscly, mighty, and meticulous Matthew Birdsey. Mythical and magnificent monologuing Matthew Laserwitz. Rudely rhyming and running Rustin Fritcher. Steely, salty, and steamy Sailor Bear Zodar. Sad and sickeningly silly Shag Matthews. Strange and stirringly steady Stephen Gray. Tyrannically terrifying and tame Tim Price. Technically terrific and triumphant Todd Enoch. Way, way wordy and wobbly waffles. Weird and wonderfully wacky wind. And a final thank you to our wonderful guest, Fred Van Lenty. It was really wonderful having him on, and it was just very, very cool that he was here. I'm a big fan. I was, I'm super appreciative, too, that he was here. It was great. Thank you so much. And just as a programming note, I want to say that our next issue that we are going to be covering is the first of two Darkhawk issues, War of Kings, Darkhawk number one. Are you ready, Jeff? No. <laughs> to be quite honest, I'm not. <laughs> Darkhawk. I'm going to have to say his name a whole bunch, and I'm probably not trying to trip over it where I call him a dark hork or something. <laughs> it's going to be very hard for me. Just a just a spoiler warning. Going to be very hard. 
I can't wait to do that editing. But for now, <laughs> we are Jeff and Rick Present, and we record and self-produce our podcast in Portland, Oregon. If you would like to talk with us, you can do so through Twitter at Jeff and Rick Present, our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick Present, our email address, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word at gmail.com, or at our website, Jeff and Rick Present.wordpress.com. Also, we got a YouTube site at Jeff and Rick Present. We are also a proud supporter of the Hero Initiative, and we will be donating 10% of our Patreon donations to this great cause. We encourage everyone to give what they can to this worthwhile organization that helps the creators who provide us with such great content. Go to HeroInitiative.org to find out more. Please rate and review us wherever you can find us. This helps other people find us as well. And as always, we want to thank the powerful people in our packs. My wife Cindy and our daughter Carrie. My fiancé Hillary and our daughter Aurora. We, we love, love you. you. Until next time. Costumes off. Our theme music is 80s Action by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Don't forget your unicorn horn. Oh, she never does. She never does. She's like, when which I, that's that's why you need to get the Guri Hiru Kickstarter book. Yeah, know? yeah, I need to get it just for the the unicorn. She's got a better headphones than we 